Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew will continue on in the Bible series from the book of Isaiah with this message entitled, The Lord's New Jerusalem. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2. Now here is our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Heavenly Father, we now come to you and we make one request, and that is you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, destroy the walls we have constructed around our intellect to prevent your word from entering into our hearts. The scripture says the entrance of your word gives light. The entrance of the word give us life, give us hope, give us peace. Therefore, O God, liberate our mind. May we submit right now our mind to your word, because it is your word. And when the word is preached, may your people hear God speaking. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 4, beginning with verse 2, to the end of that chapter. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be, not beautiful, but beauty, glory, and the fruit of the land will be pride and glory for the survivors in Israel. Notice, for survivors in Israel. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy. All who are recorded, registered. And the next is four lives in Jerusalem, from which you have Lechayim, four lives. The Jewish people, when they celebrate, they say Lechayim, four lives. In this context, of course, eternal life. The Lord will wash away the filth of women of Zion. He will cleanse the blood stains, which is blood guilt. Uh, from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire burning. Then the Lord will create. This word create is the same word that you find in Genesis 1.1. Bereshit bara ha'elohim. In the beginning, the Lord created, God created. Then the Lord will create over all of Mount Zion. Not just one part, the entire Mount Zion. And over, over those who assemble or over all the assemblies, which means churches, a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. That reminds us of the Exodus, how God led his people by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Overall, the glory will be a canopy. It's an important word, canopy. 
bride chamber, pavilion, where bride and bridegroom come together. It will be a shelter and shade from the heat of the day and a refuge and hiding place from the storm and rain. In other words, it will be a place of complete salvation, total safety. This is the Lord's new Jerusalem or the holy city of God envisioned by Isaiah the prophet in the 8th century. The ultimate purpose of God is not the destruction of Israel or of the world. The ultimate purpose is the salvation of the true people of God and the salvation of the world. In the first six chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah sees Israel, the people of God, as filthy, unclean. However, the sinful city of Jerusalem, in God's ultimate plan, will become the Lord's new Jerusalem, the holy city of God. And this transformation is brought about by the coming Messiah. In that day, verse 2, take a look at it, in that day. See, I prayed that God may destroy the walls we created around our heads. As pastor preaches, the head goes down. Over there and over here, I could see it. Until the pastor, what? Stops. And that the head comes up. I have seen you. <laughs> no wonder irrationalism prevails. So this in that day refers to the end times, the final age. It refers to the time of the coming of the Messiah to judge the sinful people. Isaiah is seeing a time even beyond 701 BC when Israel was destroyed and exiled by Assyrian power. He also sees beyond 586 BC when Judah went into captivity under the domination of Babylon. So he is seeing a time even beyond it. In that day refers to the day of the Lord who comes to judge and to save. Man has his day. But God has a day also, it will be the last day and the final day, when God's will alone be done. And we already encountered this in chapter 2, 1 through 5. Now we see it again in chapter 4, 2 through 6. And this last day began with the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the first coming of Jesus Christ. The second thing we must notice, in that day, the branch of the Lord, all of a sudden, we are introduced to this branch of the Lord. 
The question is, what is the branch of the Lord? That final day will be the day of the branch of the Lord. The branch is a technical term for the coming Messiah. The branch of the Lord is the divine human Messiah. Turn with me to chapter 6. And when I preached from chapter 6, we spoke about how God is going to exile, punish, judge his people, wipe them out, until a very small portion remains. And Isaiah likens that portion to a stump. But as the terebinth and oak leaves stumps, 13 the words, when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Now turn to Isaiah 11 verse 1. We find the stump here. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Reference, of course, is to David and son of David. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. There is the branch. It is capitalized. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. And so on. So, this is the Spirit-anointed Messiah. As to his human nature, he is a descendant of David. As to his divine nature, we are told in verse 2 of chapter 4, the branch of the Lord. Turn again to see this technical term used, the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23 and verse 5. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch. The metaphor is that of a family tree, a righteous branch. Notice, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. So we are told about his human nature in verse 5. And look at verse 6. In his days, Judah will be saved, so he is the one who comes to save. And Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called Yahweh Tzitkenu. So he is the Lord himself as to his divine nature. And you can... Uh, go home and look at Jeremiah 33, verse 15. Also, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 8, and chapter 6, verse 12, where we are told that this branch is both king and priest. Both offices coming in one person. Or, Coming to New Testament to find out who this branch is. Uh, let us listen to St. Paul. Romans 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, 
called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now, regarding his Son, capital S, second person of the Trinity, deity. Regarding his Son, who as to his human nature was descendant of David. That's why we believe in the Nicene Confession, which we confessed yesterday, in terms of both natures of Jesus Christ. He is God-man, Theanthropos. So there is coming a day when divine human Messiah, Messiah simply means anointed one, anointed not by just oil or water or something else, anointed by the executive of the Godhead, which is Holy Spirit. So there is coming a day when the divine human Messiah, divine human Messiah, the priest, king, savior, we are told in verse 2 of chapter 4, he is beauty, he is glory, he is majesty, and he is honor. He is everything that you are not. But in the Hebrew text, we read this way. In that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful, beautiful beauty and glory. The fruit of the land will be pride and glory. Le for the people. For the survivors. In other words, we are not beautiful. We are not glorious. We don't have any honor. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are full of filth. And we are full of externalism. Read chapter 3, beginning with verse 16, how the women of Zion are adorning themselves with all kinds of external stuff. But the problem is not on your face. The problem is in your heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And the Lord knows out of the heart proceeds sexual immorality, wickedness, lies, and so on. Jesus said so. And we said, the Lord always looks, not at your face, but at your heart. And that's where I look too, even though sometimes, because I'm a human being, you can deceive me by external something. But generally, I look within. So there is coming a day when divine human Messiah, the priest, king, savior, who is beauty, glory, majesty, and honor will come for the benefit of Israel the true elect of God. And as a result of his coming, we will become beautiful and glorious by his sovereign, unilateral, divine, miraculous action. Now, thirdly, look at chapter 4, verse 3. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called Kadosh. 
holy. And you met that word in chapter 6, verse 3, where the seraphim cried out, Kodosh, 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 holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So there is no question about his holiness. But here there is profound statement. In that day, the filthy people of Israel will be called what? Holy. Cannot believe it. It's a mind-boggling statement. The sinful, filthy people will be called. That's passive. But the question is, who is going to call you holy? The answer is God himself is going to call you holy. In that day, a certain number of citizens of Zion, they are called the remnant. The remnant. Now, remember Professor Frame's distinction. Historically chosen and what? Eternally chosen. Historically chosen people, they come to church, but they eventually fall away. But there is a true remnant, truly chosen by God from all eternity. They are the ones who will be called holy. The remnant, those who escaped, notice, survivors or escapees, they escaped this terrible judgment of God. We want to look at how come they escaped, if you want to talk about it. Escaped divine judgment on the sin of Judah, a certain people escaped. In other words, God let certain people escape the just judgment that ought to have been fallen on them. But the question you have to ask is, how can sinful people be called holy, kadosh, which is the nature of God, be you holy for, because I'm holy. How can sinful people can be called holy? How can sinful people become glorious? They are filthy, they are fruitless, and they are rebellious. They have revolted. Hebrew word pasha, revolted against the Lord of the Covenant. And you read that in chapter 1 through 6. So this is the big question. How can the unjust be just? How can their condition be changed? That is where God's plan of salvation comes to help us. The Messiah has a plan for their cleansing and their justification. This is the eternal counsel. You read about that in John 17. The eternal counsel. There was a plan. The Godhead, all persons involved. God the Father is the author of that plan of salvation. God the Son agreed to execute redemption by his death on the cross. And God the Holy Spirit applies the fruit of that redemption individually to every eternally 
chosen human being in history. So then, verse 2, these people are called escapees or survivors. You read about the survivors of the Holocaust and so on. Survivors. I was there at various places, uh, Auschwitz and other places, on a terrible judgment. But these people escaped it. They are called escapees, survivors. They are called in verse 3, remnant. Not the whole Israel. Turn with me to the book of Romans. St. Paul makes reference to this issue in chapter 11 and verse 5. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And remember, he also said, all Israel are what? Not Israel. There are two concentric circles. There is an outer circle. They are Israel, but not Israel. And then there is the inner circle. They are the true elect. So they are the, the remnant. And then we are told, if you look at chapter 4, these people who will be called holy, in verse 3, these are people who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. They are registered in the city's register, Lechayim, for eternal life. See, every city has a register where you register. Isn't that true? If you want a passport, they'll tell you, go and uh, get a birth certificate. It's registered. So, in this uh, New Jerusalem, every citizen is registered. So, these are registered people. And we are introduced to this register in the Bible many places. It is called the Book of Life. The book of life. Turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 32, and verse 32 and 33. Moses is speaking to God, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. At least understand there is a book. It is a book of life. And the names are already in it. It is already written in it. Turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 87. And I will read from verse 5. Indeed of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. Because the registrars say so. And the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. Now, this is speaking about the true Israel, the elect Israel. Lechayim Israel. Or look at Luke chapter 10 and verse 20. Listen to what Jesus Christ himself is speaking about the existence of this book in which the names of all saved are written. Luke 10 and verse 20, However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, 
but rejoice that your names are going to be written when you come forward. But rejoice because what? Your names are written in heaven. It's already done. An interesting point, isn't it? It's already done. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. St. Paul understood about this register. Philippians 4 and verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Or, the last book, let's turn to the book of Revelation. And chapter 20, and verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You know, my name is written. What about yours? Written where? In the book of Zion, in the register there. And so it is, their names are registered... And then we are told, Lechaim, registered for lives, the plural, Lechaim. Eternal life is presented as lives, plural. Now you can talk all you want, Lechaim, or drinking the, uh, the wine or whatever. What you get is not eternal life. <laughs> eternal life doesn't come that way. Eternal life comes through the coming Messiah. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. Or Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have a life and have it what? Abundantly, eternal life. Or John 10 verse 28 says, I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. And no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. So that is what he's talking about. Let's keep in mind, how can, the point here is, how can the filthy can be called holy? So let's look at verse 4. The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the blood guilt, which is uh, the sin of murder, a social violence that existed in the city. Of course, it is speaking about God dealing with all sin. Remember David praying, God save me from 
blood guilt, the God who saves me. Then my tongue will sing of his righteousness. All right. Who is going to wash it away? You see, sin, nobody can deal with sin. Nobody can wash it away. Only the Lord. He is able and he does wash it away. Turn with me to the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 30. This is very important if you are self-justifying type. Look at verse 12, Proverbs 30 and verse 12. Those who are pure in their own eyes, speaking about certain people, they are what? Pure in their own eyes. And yet are not cleansed of their filth. Here, of course, he's speaking about moral filth. Moral filth. No wonder David prayed in 51st Psalm, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Well, let's find out in the book of Zechariah, chapter 13, you will discover a fountain. And this fountain will be able to wash away our sin. Zechariah 13, verse 1. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. Moral filth. And if you read on the book of Isaiah, you come into the 53rd chapter, which, which is the jewel in the crown of Isaianic theology. And when you come there, you find out the fountain that is opened up. And you find out that that fountain is on Mount Calvary where Jesus Christ was crucified. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But this is the interpretation now. But he was the correct translation is what? Pierced. And NIV does it correctly. He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us shalom, wholeness, was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed, saved. So you find a fountain in the 53rd Psalm, uh, chapter of Isaiah. And this, of course, in the fulfillment, it is the cross. And there the Lord Jesus Christ dies to wash away the filth, the moral filth of all of us. All right, let's turn to chapter 4. And it says, he will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. In other words, there is going to be a cleansing, but it is based on justice. 
God simply cannot say, I forgive you. God is God. God is righteous. He cannot simply say, I forgive you. Sin must be atoned for. Sin must be dealt with. And so, spirit of judgment and spirit of burning. And the simple interpretation is Christ was judged in our place. The punishment that brought us peace, shalom, was upon him. In other words, he was judged in my place. That's wonderful. And so, turn to chapter 6, which we uh, preached out of. Now, here is the, the vision of a holy God. And whenever the God reveals himself to you in his holiness, it is for the purpose that you may see your own filth. You see your filth always in the light of his holiness. Otherwise, we go around and, and say, you know, I'm pure and all that, the filth, the feces, is sitting on the face, <laughs> and he runs around, stinking every place, and he going around telling what? Oh, I'm holy, I'm righteous, I have no problem, Pastor, I don't know what you are talking about, <laughs> I don't know, I mean, my mother told me I was nice, my uncle said I was very nice, my teacher says I'm very nice, I don't know what you are talking about. You see, until we come to God's presence, that's why we must have intellectual ability to understand the word of God and pray that God will reveal himself to you as holy, transcendent, majestic, and glorious. And when Isaiah saw that, he said, Woe unto me. I have unclean lips. I am unworthy. I live among people who are sinners. In other words, I am full of filth. I am full of guilt. All right, so what happened? That is chapter 6 and verse 5. Let me read from verse 5 on. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. Why is your lips unclean? Your heart is unclean. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the transcendent King, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of the Covenant who is thrice holy. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from, with the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. See, there is an altar. The altar is very important. And the live coal from the altar touches. This is the application of Christ's redemption. So that your filth, moral filth, can be washed away, atoned for. And when that is done, let's turn to verse 3 of chapter 4. It says what you'll be called holy. Holy. Who makes you holy? The Lord makes you holy. The Lord calls you holy. Kadosh. He is Kadosh and he makes you Kadosh. He is holy. We are unholy. But the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, comes to make us holy. 
And it is God's great plan that we be conformed to his purpose, which is conformed to the character and nature of Jesus Christ. We are holy. And now, that's wonderful. You see, the problem is taken away. Sin and guilt caused us to be separate from God. Now we are called holy. We can now have fellowship. The idea here is, uh, notice, in that day, the branch of the Lord will become glory, beauty, honor, pride for us. John 15 verse 1 says what? I am the vine, you are the branches. And look at all the beauty and glory. It's coming out from him to you. This is the doctrine of the vital union with Jesus Christ. You see, chapter 3 spoke about external beauty of these women whose heart was haughty, filth. But now it is all changing. He is beautiful, therefore we are beautiful. He is glorious, therefore we are glorious. He is majestic, so we are majestic. He is honorable, so we are honorable. His glory is left for us. For the remnant. For those who registered in the city. Instead of the false external beauty. In the Messiah we have true beauty. Beauty of heart. Turn to Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28 and verse 1 speaks about the stupid external beauty of people. Woe to that wreath, the pride of Ephraim's drunkard. See, that is the beauty of human beings who are not God's people. Pride, haughtiness, rebellion, arrogance, self-promotion, self-esteem. But instead of that, turn to verse 5, Isaiah 28, verse 5. In that day, the Lord Almighty will be a glorious crown, a beautiful wreath for, notice, the remnant of his people. Don't spend all that money for that, those glasses and all that, you know, making you beautiful. Spend all the money for plastic surgery, left and right. I think Mrs. Clinton got uh, plastic surgery. I'm thinking about getting one. <laughs> but then I read this. And I said, I don't need <laughs> to do this. Turn to Isaiah 60 and verse 19. Isaiah 60 and verse 19. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Isaiah 61, which speaks about the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah. This chapter, uh, this verse was read by the Lord Jesus Christ in the synagogue of Nazareth. And he read it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's the Messiah. The Messiah has come now. And the, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and then 
It says to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of what? Ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his glory, of his splendor. In that day, the Messiah, the branch, will become glory for us. Hallelujah. The filth is gone. Guilt is gone. We are called what? Holy. Who called us holy? The Lord himself. This is the double transaction. He took our sin and guilt. And his righteousness is put into our account. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. Whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not what? Count against him. Hallelujah. A fountain is opened up. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sins. And by faith we are united to him. He is the vine, we are the branches. All he is and has is for us. This is no external beauty. This is internal beauty. Those who are getting older, please listen to it. (laughs) Uh, We could spend a lot of time on the mirror, you know, and and each hair is taken out and and all the cream in the world, we, you know, I am worth it, and you spend the money. <laughs> but here I just told you, the Messiah, the branch is coming for your glory, for your eternal life. The filth is gone, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, this is a great opportunity to trust in this only Savior, the eternal Son, descended from David, God-man, Jesus Christ, who died in our place on the cross for you. There is only one thing that is needful. Jesus said, repent. If not, you perish. But, it, but that means if you repent, you'll be saved. Unless you repent, you will perish because You are filthy, morally corrupt. Heart is deceitful. But he comes to change your heart and make it glorious, make it beautiful. Heavenly Father, we pray that you help everyone here, O Lord, to look to your Son and be saved. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio presenting this message from the Bible series on the book of Isaiah. Come back soon for more Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.